Hello? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Mark Hutton. I'm one of the interim pastors here. I'm actually the interim pastor here, not one of <clears throat> those, are imp- those are important words. So I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you all are here. Um, if you've been with us for a while, you know that through the summer we've been digging into the book of Psalms. And this morning we're going to step into Psalm 40. Uh, and if you're a U2 fan, um, that song is now in your head. I'm sorry. It's been in mind for a while now. So um, if you'll join me now, let's read together from Psalm 40. Will you join me? Let's, let's read, read Psalm 40, 1 to 5 together. This is what it says. I waited patiently for the Lord. He me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth and a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud to turn... Many, Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you plan for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Lord, I ask that you would be with us as we look at Psalm 40, that you would use it in our lives the way that you intend to do. Pray that you would send your spirit to work among us. Those of us who may not yet know you or know you all that well, I pray that you would use it to draw us to you. Those of us who may have known you for a long time, may it refresh us in deep and powerful ways and help us to know Jesus in every conceivable way. Lord, I would ask that nothing I have said or done or left unsaid or undone would in any way hinder the work of your spirit. I pray that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I really do have trouble uh, reading the first five verses of Psalm 40 without immediately thinking of you too. Not YouTube, you too, right? Uh, how many you guys remember you too? For real? Only a few of you? Come on, seriously, thank you. All right. They dominated the rock world from the, in the 80s and 90s, that Irish band, you know, Bono, right? And they had this song where they, the song was called 40 because it was based on Psalm 40, right? Makes sense? There's this great story about they were, this is in like 1983, and they were recording this album, War, uh, and they were, they, they were running out of time in their studio, and the next band was in, and they had to get out. They, were, they felt like they were one song short. And so Bono, uh, the lead singer, grabbed his Bible, which you might think is weird that uh, like a rock group would have a Bible, but he grabbed his Bible for inspiration because Bono, as well as other members of the band, were Christians, although U2 is not a Christian band, but they're Christian guys in that band. And he grabbed his Bible and he opened it up. And within a few minutes, they had put together this song, song, they call it 40. What the thing about 40 is that it becomes this iconic song for U2. Uh, and I mean, it's, they sung it forever at, to close out their concerts. In fact, I have a, a good friend of mine who was a, a huge U, U2 fan, and uh, he described being at one of their concerts when they closed it out. Let's so this packed out arena full of thousands of people, uh, and, and at the end of this concert, 
uh, they start to sing 40, and people know it immediately, and, and they start singing. Thousands of people. In fact, if you listen to a couple of their live albums, you'll hear, you'll hear 40 on the, on the album, and you'll hear Bono invite them to sing. And thousands of people start singing a psalm. They're singing the words. Almost, they're, they're almost directly from the psalm itself, right? Uh, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined and heard my cry. I mean, thousands of people who who don't really recognize the depths of this of what they're saying. And yet this the proclamation is going out that the greatness of God that that God lifts people up out of their out of these uh, the out of these pits of destruction out of these the mud and the mire and puts their feet on solid ground and this proclamation is going out and thousands of people are singing it and YouTube closes their concert like this where where all of these people are singing this song with the band, and one by one, progressively, uh, they, leave, they leave the stage, uh, and their lights go out, but the crowd keeps singing. My friend said, I was in church, that as the lights went off, as the, as the stage was empty, thousands of people kept singing this song over and over. He said, for like 20 minutes, you 2 is gone, but they're still singing this hymn. He said it was powerful. And it seems fitting, right? It seems fitting that this would happen, that, that you too would lead people in this song, in this psalm in particular, because some of them had experienced what the psalmist is talking about. In fact, the first five verses of Psalm 40, if not all of it, is a psalm that, that proclaims the greatness of God so that others would see and, and fear and put their trust in the Lord. It's a proclamation about what God has done. And it seems fitting that you two would do this, that Bono and other members would do this, and that that psalm was used ex exactly how it was intended, that God's greatness, the great and wonderful things that he has done in the world and in the lives of these people would be sung, and that people would, would see and fear and put their trust in the Lord, even if they found themselves in a slimy pit. Did you, did you like that when we read it a minute ago? He lifted me up out of a slimy pit. We don't know what's going on in the life of the psalmist. We have, we have no idea, really. We can speculate all we like. Uh, but what he says is that it was the pit. It was the pits, right? Um, if, uh, if, if we think about it, though, that, that idea is like this, this sense of this deep spiritual need. We might describe ourselves as being in the pit sometimes when we think about being in deep spiritual need. The, the literal Hebrew, if you read it, like it would say pit of destruction, which immediately makes me think of Princess Bride, you know, uh, come on, you guys know Princess Bride, right? Or I find more literal. Okay, we'll we'll say Pilgrim's Progress, right? But it's my more Princess Bride. But it represents this deep spiritual need, this slimy pit. It could have been death. It could have been physical. It, it could have been national. It could have been a military thing. Whatever it is, he is he is expressing something personal, but something broad enough that it could be incorporated into worship, and he's describing this sense of of just being in this pit. Um, I really like the way that the NIV translates it, right? I mean, other translations like the ESV, they'll say pit of destruction, but I think the NIV gets it right because we can identify more with this idea of being in a slimy pit full of mud and mire. We've, we've, we've been there, like we, we get it. Um, he is um, telling us about this experience. We, we can identify with it. But the psalmist, though, has never known a time in his life when he wasn't in relationship with God, though, right? 
He's writing from the perspective of the covenant. That's how we should read everything in the, in the Old Testament in particular, but the Psalms as well. He's, he's writing from this perspective that he, he's in this relationship with God, and yet he finds himself in deep spiritual need. He finds himself in this, in this slimy pit full of mud and mire, and all of us can identify with it. I, I hope you don't find yourself in one right now, that you aren't uh, sort of sitting here pondering uh, that feeling of being in, a, uh, in deep spiritual need. But if you do, and if you are, I think this psalm may help us. Because I can think of times in my own life when I have, I can only describe it as being in a slimy pit. It's like, um, it's like the idea of being at the bottom of a, of a well that has, uh, all the water is gone, but it's, there's still a lot of sludge in the bottom and the, and the walls, the, the rocks around it are still slimy. And you know that you can't get yourself out, right? The floor is slippery. I mean, you just, you're stuck there. And if some, something doesn't happen, if something doesn't come to rescue you, you're in a really, really, really tough place. And you know that you're in a, in a place where just in deep spiritual need. And yet the psalmist in this moment says, I waited patiently for the Lord. That's how that psalm begins. That's a hard word, isn't it? Patiently. Uh, especially for, uh, you know, a society that's built on instant, right? Uh, everything is instant. I love rice, and so now I can make rice in a minute. I, I like that. This sort of instant thing, right? We like that. We, but this idea of I waited patiently um, doesn't ring right, especially if we find ourselves in a, uh, in a slimy pit full of mud and mire with no way out. A, a lot of us have this tendency then to rely on other things in those moments instead of waiting patiently on the Lord. Do you do that? Rely on other things in that moment? Lots of people do, even people of faith do that. Um, in fact, in, in verse 4 of this psalm, he alludes to that, right? When he says, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. In, in the ESV and other translations, it, that last line it says, to those who go astray after a lie. You think about how often when we're in like the uh, slimy pit, we, we go after a lie to help us out. Uh, Abraham and Sarah, we just talked about them, you know, back in the spring in Genesis, right after God had given them this great promise of all the things he was going to do for them, a famine hits, and where did they go? They went to Egypt. Well, uh, often when you read in the Old Testament, when it's referring to the proud, sometimes it's an allusion to Egypt, right? Uh, and so he's, he's talking about going to somewhere else, right? Uh, but most of those put their trust in the Lord, but we have a tendency to try to find other things. Sometimes it's a lie, sometimes it's pride sometimes it's all kinds of things God's people do it all the time but the psalmist says happy or blessed are those uh, joyful is the person who trusts in the Lord uh, and waits patiently for the Lord there's that word again that I don't I don't like patiently I wonder what does the psalmist mean by patiently waiting is, does he mean passive? Does he mean sort of sitting there with your hands folded as if, you know, like it's, it's not really bothering you? Uh, is it there's not, you're not doing anything? I, actually, um, this word is, is really sort of in line with what Dave said a minute ago. Uh, it's this sense of expectantly, like a child calling out, daddy, 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 or mommy, mommy, mommy. They're, they know you're going to answer. Right? It's that sense of expectancy. That's what 
David, the psalmist, is talking about when he says, I waited patiently on the Lord. I waited expectantly on the Lord. I expected him to hear my cry. I'm a child of the covenant. I belong to him. He's going to hear my cry. I'm in this slimy pit. I'm in this state of spiritual, of spiritual desperate need. He's, he's, going to, he's going to hear. He's going to hear. He's going to hear. And, and so he, he says, I waited patiently or expectantly for the Lord. It's this idea of active faith. Uh, it's not passive. He's expecting the Lord to do something. And not only that, if you notice, he says, uh, he talks about, and, and he inclined his ear and he heard my cry. So he's not silent. He's not sitting there sort of passively. He's, he's waiting expectantly, patiently on the Lord, uh, even in the slimy pit. And he's crying out to the Lord in the midst of it. It, it isn't sort of this silent, passive sort of thing. That gives a whole new shape to this idea of expectantly or patiently waiting on the Lord in the midst of this situation, this pit of destruction, this slimy pit, this deep spiritual need. And then the, the psalmist says that the Lord turned to him or inclined to him. It's just like that parent finally getting off the phone and inclining to hear the child. Okay, what is it? And you turn, right? It's that sense of when we say it at the end of the service, when we talk about from number six, that the Lord turns his face, right? It's that sense of when, when it says that he inclined his ear, he, it means he's acting. We don't, we don't know exactly what it, what's happening here, what he literally means when he says that the Lord lifted him and put his feet on a rock. We don't know, but we get this idea, this image of a rock is an image of salvation. But it isn't like a rock in the stream some, some of you like to go in the mountains and hike and you're by a river stream and you, like, you do rock jumping, right? And you're in the midst of the water's all around you and you're standing there on this rock. That's not this image. It's actually more like a mountain. It's really secure above all of it. It's this sense of security and salvation, this fortress that God has placed his feet on this mountain, this firm place that can't be shaken. That's this image that he gives. In other words, God meets him in his deepest spiritual need. He's waiting patiently, expectantly. He's crying out to the Lord. The Lord turns and lifts him up and puts his feet on a secure place on this rock. And what's the result? Praise and proclamation. It's powerful. That's the heart of these first five verses, that when God acts and something happens, he lifts him out, puts his feet on the rock. There's praise and proclamation. And there's this new song in his heart. And this is David, so it's probably literally a song, right? He writes songs, and he, and he cries out, and he praises the Lord. God had rescued him and lifted him up out of the slimy pit. Friends, if, uh, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you too have been lifted out of this slimy pit, this place of your deepest spiritual need. The Lord has met you in that place of your deepest spiritual need in Christ. He's lifted you up out of the slimy pit and put your feet on the rock, and Christ is that rock. You have been lifted up out of your greatest spiritual need. It makes me think of that uh, great hymn by Edward Motes. Uh, you know it. My hope is built on nothing less. You know that one? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. You know the chorus, right? Let's sing it. All right, let's sing it. Will you sing it with me? On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Isn't that what's supposed to happen? 
That's exactly what's supposed to happen. The Lord Jesus has rescued you, lifted you up out of the slimy pit, put your feet on the rock, and what happens? We sing. That's this right response. God has done this. He's put a new song in my heart. He has rescued me up out of this slimy pit. He's rescued me from my deepest spiritual need, and I sing. Maybe that was at the heart of why Bono and you too sang 40 out of this sense of proclamation. The Lord had met them in their deepest spiritual need. And maybe they understood if they sing this psalm, then maybe others too. I wonder what seeds were planted when they sang that song. As people in this crowd were definitely in, in a place of deep spiritual need. It's, it's the way it's supposed to work. That's what the psalmist is digging at. It's supposed to lead us to worship and proclamation, right? And that's the thing that we're supposed to talk about, sing about, the fact that God has lifted us up out of this slimy pit. But I think that's often where we miss a step. Because there's so many people around us, our neighbors, our friends, our colleagues, that are in this place of deep spiritual need. One theologian uh, put it this way. He said, all too often, though, when those with great spiritual needs are looking for help, something to trust in, the people of God are silent. There is no declarative praise. Let's not be silent about how Jesus has met us and lifted us up out of the slimy pit. I think at the time that Jesus uh, stepped onto the beach, we just read moments ago from Mark 5 and encountered a man with a clear and deep spiritual need. A man the gospel of Mark describes as having an unclean spirit. A man who lived in a pit, in a cave among the dead. He was so troubled that he cut himself with stones. People were fear, fearful of him. They couldn't contain him. They tried to stay away from him. And Jesus met him, right? He met him in his deepest spiritual need. He pulled him up out of this slimy pit and he put his feet on a rock and they found him clothed and in his right mind. I love that story. But there's a part of that story that's often overlooked. And we read it. It was in bold. You read it. Mark 5, 18 to 20, it says, As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him to go with him. But Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. The man was lifted from a slimy pit. And then he went and proclaimed what God had done, and people were amazed. The psalmist was lifted up out of this slimy pit, and he had a new song in his, in his heart and his mouth. He began to sing it, and he proclaimed it so much so that people would see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. The man on the beach did the same. I think we should as well. Don't you? Friends, the Lord meets us in our deepest spiritual needs. In Christ, he has lifted us up out of the slimy pit. Whether it was before we came to know him or even now in times that we need that. But all the time he places our feet on the rock on Jesus and puts a new song, a hymn of praise to our God for all the wonders he has done in our lives. Do you realize that you are one of the wonders that's mentioned in John? Because God has done wonderful and amazing things in your life. He does it over and over and over again because he loves you. And the greatest thing and the greatest way you've ever seen it was through Christ and faith in him. That's one of the wonders. You're one of the wonders. And so we proclaim those wonderful things that God has done. 
We proclaim them loud enough so that the people around us who are in states of deepest spiritual need will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. We have a song to sing, a song that the world is desperate to hear, a song that your neighbors need to hear, and that we need to hear as well, an encouraging song, a song that proclaims the greatness of God, the greatness of Christ. I ask that maybe the Holy Spirit would help us to sing that song so that the world would hear and see and put their trust in him. Let me pray and ask the Lord to help us. Oh God, we, um, we want that song in our hearts. Remind us, Lord, of those places, the, the times that you've lifted us up out of these slimy pits, these places where you've met us in our deepest spiritual need. Lord, we pray that you would bring transformation so that, Lord, many would hear and see and put their trust in you. Lord, we long to see that. We long to see people coming to know Jesus so that their lives will be transformed, so our world will be transformed. Lord, I ask that you do this, and that you would do it in, in a quick way. I ask all this in the powerful and the awesome and the marvelous name of Jesus. Amen.